Good morning. morning. It's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and being with us on this beautiful Sunday morning and uh, worshiping with us here at Ivy Creek. We are so excited that you're here. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them and turn with me once again to the Gospel of John and to chapter 20. John chapter 20. We have uh, been on a journey together as a church family through the last chapters of the Gospel of John. Uh, in a series that I had entitled uh, Looking Toward the, the Cross and the Empty Tomb. And as, uh, as things would have it, we came to uh, John chapter 20, the first 10 verses, looking at it last Sunday morning on Easter Sunday morning. And we're just going to pick back up where we left off there and continue our study uh, as we, uh, Lord willing, we'll make it all the way through the end of John's gospel before we, we move on to other places. But uh, that's what we're going to do today. And so I invite you there, whether you're joining us from home or here in the room, to turn with me there to John 20. Uh, you know what's interesting is that even though we began looking at John 20 last week and we really focused on, on John and Peter and what they found in the empty tomb, which really wasn't actually completely empty. There were, there were the clothes, the grave clothes that Jesus left behind when he uh, resurrected. Uh, and we, we looked at that last week. But you'll, you'll remember there from the first uh, couple of verses is that uh, Mary Magdalene is really the, the, the first person that was at the tomb that morning. And we want to pick back up with her story because what we read in John 20 is that she was very distraught and very upset about going to the tomb and finding the stone rolled away and there being no body of the Lord Jesus there to find. What's interesting about that is with the benefit of hindsight and and armed with the knowledge that we have, uh, of course, with, with the rest of the New Testament, based upon the fact that Mary went to the tomb that morning and did not find the body of Jesus, well, that was something that she looked to be as terrible news, but it ended up being the greatest news of all kind. There was, nothing, there was nothing better that could have occurred than for her to go there and to find uh, Jesus' body no longer in that tomb. But at this point, Mary did not see it that way. And you know, sometimes, I would just say, sometimes good news is not always recognized as good news. I know that's been the case for me numerous times in my life. A few years ago now, it was New Year's Eve, uh, my wife and I had our four kids at home. They were all much smaller than they are now. And, and we also had uh, my, my wife's uh, sister's daughter and her two uh, sons there that are right in the same age of my kids. And so I'm counting up on that. It was seven kids and two adults at the house on New Year's Eve. Boy, were we having a grand time. And uh, we really were. We were but we were going to make homemade pizzas. And we were going to watch movies. That's how we were going to, that, that was how we were going to spend New Year's Eve. And, and so my job on, on that particular night was to get every, the, all the pizzas assembled and put together. And, and, uh, and, and I won't bore you with and, and gross you out with all the details, but in the slicing of everything, something else got sliced like the end of this finger. And um, it was bad. And, and to the point where I could not get it to stop bleeding. It just would not stop bleeding. And so... Uh, if you go back and do the math, there were seven kids in our house and two adults. And we didn't have a vehicle big enough for all of us to get in to go to the emergency room. And Caroline tends to, to get faint at the sight of blood. In fact, she was, she was a lot worse shape than I was at the moment. 
And so she's there, unable for me to do anything for her. I've got my hand up over my head, pinching my finger, trying to stop the blood from flowing. And kids going, what's going on, Dad? Why, why are you? I'm, this was a fun time, I'm telling you. It was a great night. So I did at that moment what I have done many, many times in my life when I have found myself in trouble and could not figure out how to get myself out of it. I called Ted. <laughs> and my hero came to the house that night and picked me up and took me to the emergency room. Now, the emergency room on New Year's Eve is a really fun place to be. <laughs> but that's another story for another time. I'll tell you about it at a later point. Ted and I had, had a ringside seat to all the fun that was going on. But eventually I got back to the back part and, and uh, there was a... a you know, I was not an, a true emergency from the perspective of getting a doc. I had a, I had, I had a guy who was a physician's assistant and he was, he was excellent. Uh, a guy about my size. So we related really well and everything was going good, but we could not get my finger to stop bleeding. And the long story short, he started coming at me and had a smile on his face. And I thought, oh, he said, he's sweet. He's nice. And he had this, this really long Q-tip that was silver. I thought, well, that's pretty. I wonder what he's going to do with that. And uh, he came a little closer, and, and then he was acting a little weird because he was kind of positioning me in such a way, and I'm going, we've had such a great relationship up to now, and he's kind of like pushing me off. And long story short, he took that, that silver Q-tip out of its cage and, and ran that across the tip of my finger. And it was as if somebody had poured hot lava on me I may have blacked out for just a second. By that time, Ted was positioned to watch me, and my dad had showed up, and, and they were watching me, and, and one, of the, one of the emergency room doctors was a, was, a, was a fellow that I had actually gone to kindergarten with and had graduated high school with. And he told that physician's assistant, he said, I know him, he's a preacher, but I believe you can get him to cuss. <laughs> I don't think I did. I'm not sure what I said. I buried my face into that big physician's assistant's back in his shoulder and screamed as loud as I could. I have never felt anything hurt like that. And many of you already know what he did. He chemically cauterized my finger. It was the only way to stop the bleeding from occurring. But at that moment, there could not have been anything worse that that man could have done to me. It was the worst pain I have ever experienced. Five minutes later, pain's gone. We're getting our stuff and I'm walking out the door. We're going home. It's all good. And I tell you that story just simply because it, this is the thing. It illustrates my point that good news does not always start out as good news. Sometimes it starts out really bad. Sometimes it starts out painful. Sometimes it starts out with, with such such raw pain and emotion that it's really hard to see how anything good can come from that. But I want you to know, my finger is just fine today. And I was able to go home that night and everything was good. But there was a point where it didn't feel like anything positive was going to occur. And the reason I tell you that story is because I believe that it kind of illustrates a little bit of what's going on with Mary Magdalene in this story. She gets to the tomb and the most raw emotion that she can have 
the deepest pain that you can imagine coming from someone she is experiencing as she gets to this tomb. And what she could not believe was that anything positive was going to come out of it, but the best news possible came. And that was that the tomb was empty and Christ was resurrected. And it's the best news that you and I can ever experience this morning as well. So let's examine her story. Let's see a little bit of what goes on there. I want us to pick up in verse 11, and I'm going to read down through verse 18 and hear the Word of God this morning. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And that word weeping there, she is wailing. She is uncontrollably sobbing. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us and for your mercy. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to be in your house, to be able to open your word, to read it, to study it, to contemplate it, on it, and to chew on it, and to think about it. Now I pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us. Give us those ears that we need, the spiritual ears, the heart that would be able to receive the words that you want us to hear this morning. Lord, it's my belief that there are going to be those in this room today who need truly to to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. There are those that have wandered away from you. Maybe they're here this morning because they just want to see if there's anything real about this or if there's any real hope in it. I don't know what the circumstances may be, Lord, but I know that your word, when it is, you, when it is opened and, and when we read it and when it is explained, that your Holy Spirit begins to work through that and you accomplish great things. So I pray that you will accomplish great things in our midst this morning. And we ask that these things will be accomplished for your glory and for our good. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I've provided you today with just a fairly simple outline, um, just some hooks, as you know I do sometimes, just to hang our thoughts on, places in the text for us to just be able to reference back to. Um, And and primarily, these hooks today kind of revolve around the the movement of Mary through this passage. Um, The first phrase that I have provided you kind of describes her at the beginning, in the opening part. And the first phrase is simply this. She is stricken with despair. Mary Magdalene is stricken with despair. Um, All of us are likely familiar with with Mary Magdalene. We've heard her name. We know who she is. She's one of those biblical characters that most people can tell you they know who they are. But we don't know an awful lot about her because there's not an awful lot revealed about her in Scripture. I'll tell you, Magdalene was not her last name. 
Magdalene actually meant from Magdala, which Magdala was a town. It was a little fishing village on the very northern corner of the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, right near where Jesus was from and where his earthly ministry began. And Mary Magdalene was from Magdala. She was from that part of the world. And, and she had, we know according to Luke chapter 8 that, that she had been possessed by, by uh, seven demons in her life and that had ravaged her and had plagued her relentlessly. But because of Jesus' magnificent power and His infinite love, He had come and delivered Mary of those demons and, and given her a new lease on life. And, and, and I believe that explains why, even though she was from the northern part of Israel in, in the, near the Sea of Galilee, why she is there in Jerusalem, in the southern part, in the land of Judah, when Jesus is, is crucified. She had followed Jesus throughout His earthly ministry and had ended up there in Jerusalem on the day that He was crucified because she had been with Him. Mary loved Jesus so much because of all that Jesus had done for her. And her love and devotion to Jesus explains, I believe, why she went back to the tomb on that first Sunday morning. Because she went back there to find His body. She went back there so that she could finish the anointing of His body, as we talked about last week, so that it would be fully prepared for burial. But I think more so than even that, she just wanted to be near Jesus. Even if He were dead, she wanted to be near Him. But she didn't find the body. Jesus was gone. And I want you to know that discovery sent her into a state of anguish and despair that was really uncontrollable. Um, she either missed John and Peter when they left or she had taken a different route. We don't hear about the, two of, the three of them coming in contact with one another again. But she gets back there and she is so overwhelmed. As I said when I was reading it, the weeping that she's doing is, is, is a word that describes uncontrollable sobbing in the Greek. And whatever the case was, she goes down inside the tomb and she looks where Jesus' body would have been laying on, on a little shelf that would have been dug out of that, of that tomb. But she doesn't seem to recognize or it doesn't really register with her that there's two angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot of where Jesus would have been laying. She doesn't seem to understand that. The magnitude of what she sees doesn't register with her. She's beside herself, weeping continuously and uncontrollably. And then one of the women, one of the angels asks her, he says, Woman, why are you weeping? I, I, I live with four women in my house, and um, that question has rolled off my lips more times than I know what is. Why are you crying? What are you crying about? Tell me what's going on that is so bad that you're crying. I'm not sure that's exactly the way that the angel asked Mary that question. But they wanted her to understand, why, why are you so upset? She replies, she says, well, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid Him. And in, in, in relative terms, what, what Mary says is that, how could I do anything else but weep? Because Jesus is not here and I don't know where they've taken him. She's assuming that his body has been stolen. And in her confusion and in her uh, uh, inability to process everything that's happening here, she is, she's hopeless and she's, she's anguished beyond belief. 
Maybe you've been there before. Maybe your pain and maybe your hurt, maybe your disappointment, your confusion, your hopelessness has been so bad that it's turned you inside out. You've become overwhelmed. Maybe that's happened to you. Some of you may be feeling that way right now due to some circumstances that are going on in your lives. If so, I want you to know you can identify with Mary here. You can identify with her because she is stricken with despair. In fact, she's so overwhelmed that she turns and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't even recognize Jesus. She doesn't evidently process the fact that it was two angels that spoke to her in the tomb. She turns and looks at Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. I love the way that one person has put it, that this is the greatest case of mistaken identity ever recorded. She mistakes him for a gardener. Many have wondered why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. And scholars, believe it or not, have written just pages and pages and pages attempting to try to understand why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. I really think that it's as simple as this. She was not looking for Jesus to be alive. She was not looking for a resurrected Christ who would encounter her and speak to her. She was looking for a dead man who had been wrapped in linen cloths and strips. That was what she was expecting to find at the tomb. She was not expecting to find him standing there speaking to her. That's why I think she didn't recognize him. Nevertheless, the resurrected Jesus does meet her there and he asks her the same question verbatim that the angel had asked her. He says, woman, why are you weeping? And I think there's something ironic in the question that Jesus asks. Really, and then the question that the angel... It's as if they're pushing Mary, not because they need information for themselves. I think Jesus knew exactly why she was weeping. He's asking the question so that she will ask herself, why am I weeping? What is the source of my sorrow? You see, it's up to this point, she'd really not come to grips with why she was truly as, as in, in a state of despair as she was. You see, Mary was weeping because she had found an empty tomb which she interpreted to be bad news. But as I said earlier, listen, the empty tomb, rather than being bad news and a source of disappointment and a source of anxiety, should have been the greatest source of joy for her life. What she interpreted as bad news was actually the greatest news of all. Notice though that Jesus asked a second question. He says, whom are you seeking? Now this question is similar to the question that we read in Luke's gospel when the angels asked the women who, who came to the tomb that morning. Luke tells us in chapter 24 verse 5 that the angels asked them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And then the angels go on to remind those women this. They said, he's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke these words to you while he was still in Galilee saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Now I want you to consider those two questions for just a moment. Jesus asks, who are you looking for? And then the angels want to know, why are you looking for him in a graveyard? Those questions that that are asked of Mary Magdalene and the other women 
who were stricken with despair, they were asked because they'd lost their hope. And in light of that, I just want to back up for just a second and ask you the same questions. Why are you weeping? In other words, what has caused you to lose your hope? And then let me follow that up with this question. Whom or what are you seeking to give you hope and to bring you joy? Maybe I could ask the questions this way. Are you seeking the living among the dead? Are you investing yourself in things that do not pay off and will only leave you empty and disappointed? Are you chasing after something that you hope will bring you joy and contentment and peace only as, as Solomon talks about it in Ecclesiastes, you chase after the wind and you end up and you open your hand and there's nothing there. Is that, is that an accurate description of, of maybe your, your history of chasing after those kind of things? Let me say this to you based upon God's Word but also based upon my own personal experience and the testimony of countless others like me, it is only the resurrected Jesus that will bring you hope in this life. You will never find hope and contentment and peace and joy in anything or anyone else. Everything else will ultimately leave you empty and disappointed and hopeless. Let me also point out to you that if Mary Magdalene had found Jesus' body in the tomb, then she, as well as all of us, would have every reason in the world to weep and to be afraid and to lose all hope. In fact, it's just exactly what I said to you last week when we talked about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is, is empty. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is useless and you're still in your sins. If she had found Jesus' body there, that would accurately describe us. But she didn't find His body there because Jesus had risen from the grave. And because that's the case, then our preaching is not empty. Our faith is not empty. We have forgiveness of sins today. And what that means is that in this life, the resurrected Jesus replaces despair with, with hope. In fact, notice the next point on your outline. You see, Jesus is about to reveal himself to Mary Magdalene. And when he does, she moves from being stricken with despair to being surprised with delight. She is, dis she is surprised with delight. We should note that even though she was looking directly at Jesus, she did not recognize him. She still supposed him to be the gardener. So she asked him, look, if you've taken his body away, would you tell me where you've laid him so that I can go get him? You can even hear in her voice, she, she's not making sense. What was she going to do if, if she found his body? How was she going, what was she going to do with it? She's not thinking coherently. Her grief had gone to a whole new level. But listen, things were about to change. You see, what I love about this story, I always love this story, particularly at this time of year, is because there's this U-turn that Mary takes. It's a U-turn that happens because Jesus reveals himself to her. And I love it because Jesus did not leave Mary to her despair, but instead he replaces her despair with delight. And I find that immensely encouraging. 
Because you see, all of us at some point in our lives, because of the circumstances that come into our lives, are going to know what it feels like to feel despair. There's not a one of us that will escape that. There's not a one of us that will sidestep it. We're going to get hit in the face with something along the way of living our lives that are going to cause, it's going to creep up on us, and we're going to find ourselves facing despair. But do you want to know what the greatest news that comes from this text that tells me is? Is that God never leaves us in our despair. He has no intention of leaving us there. I find that immensely encouraging. Notice what changes things. The U-turn in Mary's life occurs when Jesus calls her by her name. He says, Mary. I've always said I'd love to have heard how he said that. Was it the inflection in his voice? Was it the tone? I, I, I don't know. I think, it, I think it has more to do with the fact that Jesus says in John 10 that he's the great shepherd. And that when he calls his sheep, they will hear his voice and they will come to him. I think it has more to do with the fact that when, when the good shepherd who loves us as his sheep loves us, he calls to us, there's something about that that, that begins to move warmly in our, in our hearts and we begin to hear that. Whatever it was in his voice or in that moment, I know this, it jolted Mary out of the cocoon of her doldrums because she had heard her name spoken by Jesus. And from that point forward, everything changed with her. And I just want to pause for a moment and say this to you today. Jesus, Jesus knows your name too. In fact, according to the scriptures, he knows everything about you. There's not one thing about you that Jesus does not know. Jesus knew you before you were even born. Even when you were being knit together, as the Bible says, in the womb of your mother, before you ever drew your first breath, the Bible says Jesus knew you. And here's what I want you to know. He's calling you today. The question is, are you listening? Do you hear him? How will you respond to him? I want you to notice how Mary responded. As soon as Jesus called her name, she immediately threw herself down at his feet and she cried out, Rabboni, which John interprets for us means teacher. And suddenly Mary knew exactly who this man was who was standing before her. Suddenly she knew that Jesus was no longer dead. Suddenly she, she understood that her tears of grief were, were no longer valid. Now she changed and there were tears of joy streaming from her eyes. Suddenly she realized that Jesus' body had not been stolen, but rather that she was able to understand the truth of what had happened, that He had risen from the dead and He was alive and now the resurrected Jesus stood right in front of her and her hope was restored. And she had been stricken with despair, but now she was surprised with delight. In fact, she's so overjoyed that she threw herself down at Jesus' feet and she grabs Him by the ankles and by the legs as if to say, you are never getting away from me ever again. I will not let you go. And Jesus looks at her and says, do not, do not cling to me. Now, as I mentioned in the first service, I'll mention in this one, this is not a biblical example of social distancing. 
This was not, this was not Jesus telling Mary that she needed to remain six feet from him or three feet from him or anything along those lines. He was not telling Mary that she couldn't be touched. In fact, later he even tells down in verse 27, tells Thomas, look, come, come touch the wounds in my hands and in my side. You'd be surprised. Maybe you wouldn't, but you'd be surprised at how much ink has been spilled trying to understand exactly what Jesus meant when he says, do not cling to me here. Here's what I think really he's saying. He's saying, look, Mary, you don't have to grab on to me as if I'm about to disappear again. You, you, but at the same time, you've got to recognize that nothing is going to be the same as it was before. You're grabbing on to me as if you think that everything's going to go back to the same kind of relationship we had prior. But something major has occurred. I have gone to the cross and I have died for you. I have been buried in a tomb and now I'm raised to walk. I am a new, the new body that I have. I'm the resurrected Christ. Things are different now. The, the same relationship is not going to be the way that it was before. In fact, he says, I must ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And so therefore, Mary, you can't keep holding on to me as if everything is going to be defined by the way that things were before. You see, she wanted things to go back the way they were before Jesus' crucifixion and before His resurrection. But Jesus was telling her that everything was different as a result of those events. And that what she had understood to be bad news had actually ushered in for her and for all of us the greatest news of all. And this is very important that you and I must take note of because you see what Jesus says here tells us that the drying of Mary's tears in the, in the temporal sense, in the moment that she was there with Him, what well, she was given hope for the now, but he was also giving her hope for the later as well. Her hope was not just temporal, it was eternal. And Jesus is predicting his ascension. He had already told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself. He's saying the same thing to Mary here. He's confirming for her that he is about to go back to the Father. In other words, the hope that the resurrected Jesus brings to us is that everything that is currently warped in this world will one day be straightened out. Everything that is currently broken in this world will one day be fixed. I don't know if you really recognize just how good a news that is. That everything that is misunderstood and, and denied in this world will one day be, be completely understood and we will be lifted up and exalted. When we were at the beach this last week, um, I've had surgery on my ankle a couple of times to repair it when I was younger, and it still gives me a lot of trouble at, at, at times. And, and walking on sand can sometimes aggravate it and cause it. So I was limping, walking back. I, I looked pitiful. But I was walking back to the van, and, and Charlie's looking, why are you limping, Dad? And I'm like, because I'm old. Now hush. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what dawned on me? What dawned on me was is that one day, one day, everything that's broken is going to be fixed. Even in my body. Now that's just a small thing. But you want to know something? That pain that I experience whenever I take a step, it's real. 
That pain that's in your heart because of a broken relationship is real. That, that suffering that you experience right now because of, the, because of the, the, the fear that you have of what's coming is real. You parents out there that are hurting because of your children and decisions that they've made, those things are real. Some of you kids that are burdened for your parents, those things are real. There are some things in this life that are go beyond our imagination of how God can ever fix that, but He will because He's going to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. He is promising that there is hope not just in this life, but there is a hope that is coming in the life to come when everything that is broken and warped and crooked will be made right. Such a truth should encourage you. And it's what leads me to help you understand this. Mary came to that tomb stricken with despair, but then based upon her recognition of the resurrected Jesus, she became surprised with delight. And then we see finally the third point is this, she was sent to declare. She was sent to declare. John tells us that Jesus told Mary, go to my brethren and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that He had spoken these things to her. I like how one preacher has put it. Mary was changed from mourner to missionary. Consider the roller coaster she'd been on the past few days. She had watched as Jesus was brutally beaten, mercilessly crucified. She had seen Him taken from the cross and buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But on this day, she had been the first to discover that that tomb was empty. She had been overcome with sorrow and with despair and with hopelessness. But then she had been the first to see and to talk with the resurrected Jesus. And now she was the first one Jesus commissioned to go and proclaim this important news to his disciples. You want to talk about a whirlwind. Mary had been on one. But it was a life-changing, life-altering whirlwind that changed everything for Mary. And I want you to know it will change everything for you and for me as well. And that's what leads me to state for you my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. The victorious resurrection of Jesus changes our sorrow into everlasting joy and compels us to share that same good news with others. Do you see the U-turn that occurred in her life? She was, she was overwhelmed with despair, but then delight washed upon her when she came in contact and heard the name, heard her name called by Jesus. And I want you to know it's the same story that I have. It's my own personal testimony. I too was once stricken with despair because of my sin. But the Lord Jesus called my name and I was surprised with delight. And now I have been commissioned. I have been sent to declare the good news of the gospel. But what I want you to know is that the good news of the gospel does not begin with good news. Because I am called to declare to you the full counsel of God's word, I must begin with the bad news. Because you cannot fully appreciate the good news until you know the bad news. And the bad news is, is that every single one of us are sinners. 
Every single one of us are lost and without hope. Every single one of us, apart from Christ, have no hope of ever being reconciled to Him were it not for what Jesus Christ has done for us. I do not know what circumstances you are going through in your life. I do not know what trouble you may be experiencing or what pain you may bear. But I do know this, that if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your situation is far worse than you know. You see, without Christ, you are without hope. And to be without hope is to be just like Mary Magdalene. It is to be stricken with despair. But the good news is that Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross to bear your burden and to pay your debt. He lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. The life you could never live and have never lived. And He took our place on the cross, dying the death that you and I deserved. And He did that so that you and I might be set free and delivered from the penalty of sin. Perhaps you came here today thinking that the major problem in your life was your finances or your job, or the relationship that you have that is causing you significant pain. Maybe you thought your primary problem was your health. But what you must come to realize is that all those issues, while they are important, are far less important than your relationship to God. What I want you to understand is that there is no way that you can ever have peace and joy and hope in this life, unless you enter into a personal relationship with Jesus by faith. You cannot be reconciled to God unless you come to Him through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. The Bible clearly tells us that there is no name given under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And what the Scriptures tell us is that all who will come to Him, all who will hear His voice calling their name and who will come and humble themselves before Him and repent of their sins and trust in Him will be saved. You may have come here today stricken with despair, but when you encounter the risen Savior who calls out to you, you can leave surprised with delight knowing that your sins have been forgiven and that you have the hope of eternal life. And just like Mary Magdalene, you may experience the gracious and merciful U-turn that the Lord Jesus offers you today. The question is simply this, will you? Will you place your full trust in Christ? I want you to know to trust in Him simply means turning loose of everything else that you trust in and letting the full weight of who you are fall into His open arms where He promises to catch you and take you to be with Him forever. It means trusting that He and He alone has the ability to save you. Will you place your faith and your trust in Jesus today? If you've never done that, then I'm going to ask you to do something just right where you are. All the rest of us in the room could just take some time to bow our heads. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, then will you listen to the Master call your name today? Do you hear Him calling you right now? I plead with you, do not harden your heart against His voice. Don't push Him away. Don't delay it. Turn to Him. Admit your sinfulness. Acknowledge your need of Him. Believe upon Him. 
Right where you are, you can simply bow your head and you can pray this prayer. God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that there is nothing that I could ever do to atone for my sins and pay the debt that I owe. So I ask that you save me from my sins because of what Jesus has done for me. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and paid my debt. And I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe that he is my only hope for salvation. Jesus, I ask you to become the Lord of my life. And I want to live my life for you. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing or we'll have a time of invitation. And I want you to know that if you turn to Christ and you prayed that prayer, then I want you to come forward and I want you to take my hand. I want you to take the hand of Pastor Dave or Pastor Ted. We'll all be standing up here. And I just want you to let us know that you have turned to Christ today. We want to pray with you. If you're worshiping with us from home, and that is your desire as well, to turn to Christ and and to be saved from your sins, then I want you to call the phone number that they're going to put on your screen. You can leave a message on the answering machine, and we will be back in touch with you. But we want to be able to pray with you as well. We want to be able to give you the steps of what it means to follow Christ. I can think of no better U-turn in the world than to come stricken with despair but to leave surprised with delight. And listen, for all the rest of us in this room, that that has been our testimony and we've experienced the grace and the mercy in our lives, then I want you to know we too are commissioned just like Mary was. We are sent to declare, to declare the good news of the gospel. We have no option of keeping that good news of the redemption that Jesus offers to ourselves. We are to go into all the world and make disciples. That's what Jesus commissioned us to do. We cannot go into all the world unless we are willing, first of all, to go into our homes and into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and into our schools and to be the witnesses that Jesus Christ has called us to be. To be a witness of the good news of Jesus is not only the job of a preacher, but it is the commission of every person, every believer, who has been saved by the grace of God through faith in His Son stricken with despair over our sin, but then surprised with delight over the good news of what Christ has done for us and then sent to declare that good news to others. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Father, we do thank You as we have our time now, our heads bowed, eyes closed as we come before You. I think so much about what it must have been like for Mary Magdalene that day, but I think of my own life and what it has been for you turning me from the path that I was on and changing the course of my life. And Father, that, that testimony could be repeated again and again and again across this room. I thank you for that. I thank you for that grace and that mercy. But I pray for the one that may be here this morning that has never taken that step, never trusted in you. Perhaps today they hear your voice calling them. I pray that they would obey and respond to you by faith in Jesus Christ whom you have sent to be the propitiation of our sins. I pray these things in Christ's holy name.